Hello, and welcome to another edition of Interviewing the Legends, brought to you by the Publicity Works Agency, devoted to promoting musicians and authors worldwide. Call us today at 941-877-1552 to start your free publicity evaluation. Remember, we shine only when we make you shine. Please welcome the host of Interviewing the Legends, music journalist, author, and entrepreneur, Ray Shasho. Hello, hello again, everyone. I'm Ray Shasho. Welcome to the show, where we interview legendary and up-and-coming music artists and authors. Brought to you by the Publicity Works Agency. Call us today at 941-877-1552 or email us at publicityworksagency.com. Remember, we shine only when we make you shine. The Pineapple Thieves have launched their brand-new video for Try As I Might, the new single from their forthcoming new studio album, Dissolution. The highly anticipated follow-up to 2015's Your Wilderness is the band's second album to feature King Crimson and Porcupine Tree drummer Gavin Harrison. Vocalist, songwriter, and guitarist Bruce Sword explained his dystopian view. The video follows the theme of the song and the album. If you sign up to this hyper-connected world we live in, then you have to live with the consequences. Try as you might to get out of it. The futuristic clip is created by Black Tide Phonic Visual director George Laycock, who expands on how he created the film. When the Pineapple Thief came to me with their track, Try As I Might, they had a broad basis for an idea for a music video that dealt with a social media-obsessed connected world. I agree. This had nods to previous films and television like The Truman Show, Black Mirror, The Big Brother, Landscape, and its preceding shows. So it was about creating a storyline using these broad influences and encapsulating into an obscure three-minute film on a budget. I wasn't interested in the concept of in-eye cameras, scary technology, and I'm sure isn't too far away from us. We decided to go down the optical medical route and follow our character on a journey from first pre-operation to surgery, recovery, and then trying to battle the decision he has made while battling with the corporation he has signed up to. The film hopefully leaves the viewer to create their own conceptions on his outcome. We filmed it all on the Dorset Devon coastline around where I live and we're, uh, we're fortunate to be able to secure great locations to shoot and with a few favors, including a remote seaside postmodern house, a private beach, and a real working hospital and an optician. To keep the cast down to a minimum, we decided that the camera that is watching Bruce would become the main supporting actor and his nemesis appearing in scenes without anyone operating it. This allowed us to see the camera point of view and tell the story of the fictional viewer. 
This old broadcast camera weighed an absolute ton, and carrying it through remote woods down a mile-long steep cliff path to a beach was a challenge on some of the hottest days of the year. Filming in the water at the end was a welcome refreshment. The Pineapple Thief have grown to become one of the leading lights of Europe's experimental rock domain. Your wilderness produced 4 million-plus album streams and was number 7 in UK independent charts and two extensive headline European tours culminating at London's Islington Assembly Hall, where the concert was recorded for the live release, Where We Stood. And their new album, Disillusion, promises to propel the band to even greater heights. The Pineapple Thief is a progressive rock band started by Bruce Sword in 1999 in Somerset, England. The band has released 11 studio albums. The Pineapple Thief is Bruce Sword on vocals and guitars, John Sykes on bass, Steve Kitch on keyboards, and Gavin Harrison on drums, who played with British progressive rock bands Porcupine Tree and King Crimson. Dissolution, the brand new release by the Pineapple Thief, will be released in various formats and available to pre-order now or available to purchase on August 31st, also on Amazon.com. Please welcome singer, guitarist, composer for Progressive Rock's The Pineapple Three, Bruce Soar, to the show. Hello, Bruce. Hello. How are you doing? Can you hear me? I can hear you, yes. I was worried Wonderful. there that we lost you. <laughs> yeah, I thought, yeah, don't lose me, don't lose me. Yes, yes, yeah, so I'm good. I'm very good, very, 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 very relaxed at the moment, thanks. Good, good, good. You, you know, you have a great Game of Thrones name, Lord Sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, it was Jonas. I don't know if you know the band Catatonia, but it was Jonas from Catatonia who coined that phrase. He introduced me on stage as Lord Sword. And oh, it, really? it's, it's stuck. Yeah, it's stuck. Stuck ever since. Well, I don't mind it. I quite like it. Yeah, it's a nice name. That's, that's pretty cool. You could be one of the characters. I mean, they, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if you watch uh, uh, Game of Thrones, but I'm a, I'm a big fan. You know, I'm, you can't, I'm, you can't, you can't get away from Game of Thrones. It's everywhere. It's terrible, isn't it? I mean, it, yeah. you know, I, I I can watch five, six episodes in, in, <laughs> in one in an hour. You know, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I love the show. I'm I'm actually up to uh let's see the fourth year right now. Uh, episode 3 or 4 or something like that. And I was very yeah. very upset when uh they killed uh, uh oh gosh, King uh, uh Robert, right? Robert Stark. Right. And his mom. I said, "What the heck are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> Cuz he was one of my favorite characters. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, first of all, I want to tell you, Amazon.com has the name of the album misspelled. Did you know that? Oh, you're joking. They, no. Do you know what? The, the, the number of things that they that they get wrong, you know, like they, they, they put it as region, you know, Europe only for the Blu-ray, which is wrong. And we get so many people going, oh, I can't get your Blu-ray because we won't play in the States. And so, yeah, uh, right. Okay. I, what? How have they spelled it? They spelled it D-I-S-S-O-U-L-T-I-O-N. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I had to wonderful. do a double take. Yeah, right, I had to do a double right. take. Maybe there's a, so, maybe there's a, a U.S. special uh, edition with a different title, you know. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I'll, I'll get that changed. I will get on to, to my label and uh, give, them a, give them a going over. I, I've got a couple of books on there that I have written, so I've been, I, I know the, uh, the issues you can have with yeah. them. But they're, they're pretty easy to work with, I think. They'll fix it. How, how did you arrive at the Pineapple Thief as a name for the band? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, that was, I, I have to go right back to 1999 to, to remember coming up with the name. It was, um, 
before I did Pineapple Thief, I was in a band called Vulgar Unicorn. It was a very obscure prog rock band. And uh, I was on a tiny little record label. And um, I wanted to do my own thing because I was just a guitarist in this other band, really. And I sent I sent a song to the label, the guy on the label, and um, I called Private Paradise. And he, the guy really liked it. And he, and he emailed me back and said, right, let's put this out. Um, I need a name. Give me a name right now. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, OK, this will just be one album. Let's just come up with a name. And I was watching a film with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, an American indie film called Eve's Bayou. And there's a scene in there where this uh, voodoo lady sees this girl steal the pineapple thief, this young little girl. And she says, I can see you, pineapple thief. And I said to my missus, I said, well, that would do. That would do as a name, wouldn't it? And uh, that was it. And uh, so that's the name that's stuck for nearly 20 years. So I had no idea we, we would do 12 albums. I thought it would just be a one album thing. So, uh, that, that yeah, is that's, a lot what, of, that's, that's a lot of albums. It's amazing. It is. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be challenging as far as songwriting, too, you know, when you, you put out so many albums. You know, it's like, what do I do next? <laughs> yes, it, it's a weird thing. It's a weird, there's a weird cycle that you go through, and it's like, I think there's, it's, it's pretty much every two years that a Pineapple Thief album comes out, roughly speaking. And um, because we're not like a global, you know, some of the huge bands, you know, bands like Muse will tour for 14 months of the year, you know, and mm -hmm. go around the world. And then they would be under pressure to to write their next album, and then then they go and hit the road. But that, but for for bands for for this band, it's not quite like that. You know, we 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 do a lot of gigs, but we have an awful lot of time to write. So uh, when when it when it comes to sitting down, you know, I I you know I just think to myself, right, I've got six months or maybe eight months to write a record, and and where and where where do we take it? And uh, but you're right how to keep it keeping it fresh after 12 12 records is a is a challenge well i guess it helps now that you got gavin you know which was a huge addition to the band obviously he and, was uh, yeah and i yeah. think that yeah there was a i think there was sort of lots various epochs of the pineapple thief there was a, the, the initial epoch where it was just me as a solo artist that went for the first five albums probably and then we um, we we moved to a bigger label, thanks to Stephen Wilson, actually, because he heard one of the records and he, he got in contact with me and said, Bruce, you've got to get onto a decent record label and put in a good name, good, good uh, put in a word for me and got me the record deal. And um, and then there's the third era of the Pineapple Thief is when when Gavin um, joined. And uh, so, yeah, it's been when you talk about how do you get the inspiration to keep writing and to make it fresh? I think Gavin coming on board was a, was a, was a great, like you said, you know, you can ask for a, a better drummer to, to play with. But the, the key thing with Gavin was that he was a great writing partner. We got on really well and, and our ideas were, we were, we were pulling in the same direction in terms of musical ideas. And so we, we were, had a really um, fruitful um, relationship when it came to writing and I think that's that's the key thing about the new album yeah I heard on an interview how you guys work together uh, not actually in the studio but I think in the future you're going to start working in the studio a little bit more I think is what you said I think so yeah it was it's, it's a I, I mean because budgets you know you don't have the huge budgets that you used to do in the heydays right. of the 70s and 80s with, with massive record deals you know we had to make the most of, of the money we had and time as well and uh so we were doing it remotely in our studios, but ironically, you know, listening to you read the, the biography, you know, we were using social media and, connect and connecting 
um, every day as a band. Um, so it felt almost like we were in the same room when we were writing. Um, it's, it's as close as you could get to being in the same room. And uh, so I think, it, I, I, in a way, I regret, you know, that telling people that yeah we recorded it all in separate places because everyone's going oh well it must have been a really sterile environment and blah 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 but it wasn't it it felt really organic you know oh, i hate to use the phrase organic but it, it it was it was very natural and um and i and i think that comes across in the music it's funny you know the uh, album concept was pretty much uh uh how technology has been kind of a, a negative thing but you use you use that technology for you and Gavin <laughs> to record the <laughs> Exactly, yeah. It's a complete and a contradiction. But, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't get on my, my soapbox and say, look, we should all delete Facebook. We should smash up our phones. And, you know, it's not that at all. It's, uh, but I think it's certainly gone, for me, it's certainly gone too far. And, uh, right. I mean, I, I saw a stat the other day that, 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 that people are looking at their phone on average 50 times a day. Yeah. And uh, th- and that that can't be good for your mental well-being and your mental right. welfare. So uh, yeah, so it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting world, an interesting time that we're living through. So yeah, that that was a real the the crux of the theme of the record. No, I agree with you 100. percent There's there's too many uh, kids that, like you said, all day long. That's all they do is look at their phone. And well, I don't my, know what I've, they're I've, doing. Yeah, I don't know what they're yeah, doing got... on their phone. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, exactly. I'm, I've, I've got 11 year old um, twin boys, and uh, uh-huh. and to, 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 they've known nothing else. You know, this is the the only thing they've ever known. The only way they that, that contacting and connecting and talking to their friends, right. this is nat- natural for them. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's very, very, um, it's, it's a. I, I don't think we know what we're doing yet. And I think that you know, in 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 100 years time, when people look back on this, a bit like the industrial revolution and the and you know the, the 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 Wall Street crash, all that kind of thing, we look at it and think, well, we we didn't realise that it was a problem, you know, and didn't didn't know how to recognise it as a problem, like being an alcoholic or a drug addict. You're you're addicted to your phone, and I just it's interesting to hear Apple talk about smartphone addiction for the first time, and and so it, it's uh yeah it's um it's all very very far too new for anyone to really understand at the moment. I think. You know, on the other hand, you know, kids have everything at their disposal nowadays. You know, we, we, we would have to go to the library, use a typewriter, a regular typewriter to type anything. You know, they, they can look up things in, in seconds. And, you know, and there's no excuse for them not to know our history because it's True. right there on the, in their fingertips. And that's what, yeah. that's what pisses me off, is, and especially music. Mm. When they don't know the artists, you know, that, uh, especially all the artists that I interview. You know, I interview a lot of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and now I'm getting to the 90s because 90s is considered classic rock. And, and they go, <laughs> I don't know who that is. I said, what do you mean you don't know who that is? Oh, my goodness. You know? it's, yeah, it's scary when you're saying, oh, 90s is classic rock, really? Oh, my yeah, goodness. 90s is, you know. yeah. Yeah, and I've, I've, people are saying to me that, oh, so you, you've got a, a, a vintage, so you are now a vintage band because we're playing oh with gosh. guitars, guitars, bass, and real drums. You know, we've right. got a real drummer, and I don't know what is, is, is this. The, the, are we saying that the, the the traditional format of a band is 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 something that's vintage? That's something as yesteryear? And I, I, I don't think so. I mean, if you look at the no. look at the, the you know the the global music market and the the kind of bands that are selling out stadiums, and I think guitar guitar bands are here to stay. I hope. 
they, they've just been erased from the mainstream, like mainstream radio, which is stupid because they yes. still have an audience, you know, a huge audience. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, look they, at Roger Waters. Roger Waters yeah, is selling sure. out stadiums all over the world, you know, now. So, um, yeah, it's 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 frustrating as an artist, definitely. Well, well the, the the guitar player, you know, the guitar hero, he's he's almost gone. You know, the Jimmy Pages, you know, yeah. the David Gilmore, yeah. the Robin Trowers, you know, those guys. Yeah. You know, they, which is which is very sad. You know, it is sad. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I don't know who was the last one. Who was the last, you know, guitar hero that 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 was there? Who was the where was the last Dave Dave Gilmore? You know, I, yeah. I don't I don't know. Well, his mm. son is playing. <laughs> Matthew. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm friends with David's wife. <laughs> ex-wife. Oh, really? Right. David's ex-wife. Right. Yeah, she's cool. She's really, yeah. really cool. Uh, the new album is great. I mean, I didn't get a chance to listen to all the music because nobody sent me the album, <laughs> uh. <laughs> which is a shame. Uh, but yes, it I, is a shame. Yeah, I, I try as I might. It's a very, very cool song. Uh, awesome video, and I got to listen to Far Below, another great, you know, cool music video. Awesome track. Uh, what, what, what do you think is different about this album compared to some of the other albums? I think yeah, it's a shame you haven't heard it. I mean, um, but the those two tracks you know it's just a real snapshot really it's because the the whole record is the difference i think the key difference with this record was that it was built from the ground up as a collective and uh my my traditional way of, of creating a pineapple album was being a bit of an auteur i would i would do everything i would write the song and i'd go hey guys here's the song and you could tell you know that they were creatively they were thinking well okay this is great i'll do what i can but the song's already there whereas this time we 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 just i just came up with an idea and and uh, or a riff or or a melody and then i give it to gavin and and he would come up with some rhythmic ideas and chop things around send it back and then our bass player would go oh wow this is great and he would start adding to it so creatively as a unit it was very very different and um and i think everyone in the band much preferred it that way because it was everybody was bought into it and um so that was and i think that's what ended up you know what we created as a band was something i've no idea how we got there to be honest it was just one of those things it it took six months to do the whole record and and every day you're thinking where's it going to go today because it was almost out of my control it was in my control but out of my control if you know what i mean and in a in a really nice way um, so that was that was the big difference, and so yeah, I, I think ultimately it's the it's the first out. Well, I wouldn't say the first album, but the me, the most band created album that that I've ever been involved with. There's a lot of buzz around threatening war. A lot of people talking. Oh about right, that track. Yeah. yeah, 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 and 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 yeah, you know, I remember how that that one came together because I came up with this. Threatening War starts off with this acoustic guitar riff and vocal, which, you know, I just came up with, sent it to Gavin, and then he just went off, you know, and just, <laughs> and and he would often send me back sections where it's just him drumming, and uh, and I would go, wow, listen to that, and I would, and that would inspire me to go in different directions, and, and, um, and that's the, I think that's the real beauty of when you've got a band that gets on, and, and there's no egos saying, right, I'm the guy, I'm, I'm going to write all the songs, and it exactly. has to be this way. Um, that you just come up with something that no individual could come up with on their own. And uh, so, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that, you know, 12 albums in, that, that this is happening, because it's, uh, it's certainly given us a new lease in life. 
Now, the album was recorded in about six months. Is that correct? It was, yeah. And you yeah. say that's a. I mean, there's a flip side of the. Of the of, this is the thing, you know. We're living in this in an age where mm-hmm. I've got a I've got a good studio in my house. Gavin's got a, a great studio, a brilliant drum room, and so his drum kit's permanently set up with with the best mics you could possibly want on a drum kit. So we've got the best studio that you could need to record, and it's in our houses, so it doesn't cost anything. But it does mean that you can just there is just no stop button. You just keep going, keep going, keep right. going. So every day we would wake up. And we would just keep working and keep working. Whereas the old, you know, the traditional idea that of the, the in the heydays of the 70s, where a record label would pay for a band to go in a big residential studio for six weeks, and they had six weeks to do the record. You know, you're going to finish the record in six weeks, and we need the single and blah 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 blah. So there's a there is a there is a positive to having that kind of pressure. I think to having that deadline because I think if we didn't have a deadline. The deadline we had was that Gavin had to go off with King Crimson. And uh, so that was the, the only deadline we had. But we had six months. And that's a long... T- if you imagine being in the studio for six months, that's, that's what it felt like. Yeah, um, yeah. But at the end of it, at the end of it, we, uh, it felt really great. But there were times in the middle of the recording process where I was so exhausted, where every day you're, you're songwriting, you're, you're tweaking, you're seeing where a song can go, trying things, throwing things in the bin that don't work. Um, it was it was very tiring, but you know I can't complain. But it's a yeah, it was a it was a long process. Yeah, it's amazing. You know when you uh, hear about all the songs the Beatles wrote, you know oh they wrote this one in ten minutes, they wrote this one in five yeah, minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then you live, but then you you know you 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 read you read about wish how wish you were here was written. You know camped out in a studio for goodness knows how long. You know in Abbey yeah. Road. You know, yeah. just slowly grinding out that record. But you know, it's it's one of the greatest records of all time that they came yeah. up with. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a. I don't think there's any magic answer to to how to create or to how to make an album. Not only that, you're the producer and the uh, engineer as well. So you got, uh, you know, you're working both parts of the spectrum there of the album. Which, which is yeah. Uh, how, how do you like producing and engineering your music, your own music? My own music is different. Yeah, it's a bit harder, actually, I must confess. And I've got a good relationship with my keyboard player. My keyboard player runs a mastering business. So he's got this ridiculous setup in his in his studio. His speakers are probably worth more than my house. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> and so so I send him my mixes as I'm going and he will always send me the critique. He says, oh, Bruce, you know, the guitars okay. are sounding a bit, you know, muffly or something like that. Or or there's too much sub or whatever. so I would. It's it's a lot easier for me when I'm mixing other bands, you know, because it's immediately you're there and it's fresh. You hear it for the first time and you go, right, I know what this needs. Da da da. When you've right. heard something every day for months on end, it's very it can be difficult to to have a perspective on it. But um, but no, no, I I I, I certainly wouldn't want to to farm out the mixing to anyone else, you know, because I'd like I certainly like to have control. And um, one thing we were really careful about with the new album dissolution was to make it really hi-fi you know 3d you know really have a load of depth um but and be and really dynamic and so we've kept all the mixing and the mastering because steve does a mastering in-house which um which was uh really nice in this day and age because we have you know had some albums where we've suffered with mixes and we've suffered with mastering you know the, the dreaded loudness wars some of our records We've re- reissued them now, but they were squashed to hell and ruined. Right. You know? So, uh, 
which is a you know that it's a it's a common story but i think we're coming out of that now we're coming out of the <laughs> nobody cares about loudness anymore right that's true well you do a great job the, the qualities of your uh, albums are fantastic you know, oh thanks thanks very much yeah, you do a wonderful job now there's a second disc of music included with the deluxe edition right which contains a lot of acoustic versions of the songs yeah and uh, this is the thing i mean our label kscope they they always like to do, and I think probably you can blame Stephen Wilson for starting this off, because with the with the, the special editions, you know, the, the the big booklets with 100 pages and four discs, so it's got a Blu-ray with all the 5.1 mixes that I've done, yeah. and, um, and then it, the bonus sort of acoustic disc, which is, which I, when I sat down, I said to the label, okay, I'm going to do some acoustic versions. I, I thought, right, I'll just, just do some throw down some quick acoustic versions he said it didn't turn out like that because i felt once you start something you you don't want to compromise so i ended up re re re-recording everything and reinterpreting all the songs so the songs are very very different but with acoustic guitar and uh our touring guitarist a guy called george marius who's a fantastic guitar player um he's added some electric guitar so it's, it's a very very different different interpretation of the record so uh yeah it's nice but it's k scope um they make these editions um, and they make the the record collectible. They make people want to buy the physical product, which is quite rare in this day and age. And I think being in the progressive, the progressive rock realm, we're one of the few sort of genres where people still buy the product. They still want to have the product. They want to buy the vinyl. They want to buy the booklet. You know, and I remember as a, buying, you know, loving the, the gatefolds and flicking through the booklets, you know, and I, I never want to forget that. So, uh, so yeah, we, they're, they're, they're still doing a really good job of, of selling, selling the, the music, which is obviously good for us. Yeah. I couldn't believe how many different formats it's, it's available. And I've never seen anything like that before. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's the most that we've ever had. I think there's like there's the, the Blu-ray, there's a special edition, there's a white yep. vinyl, there's a crystal clear vinyl, there's a black vinyl. I think there's a red vinyl, vinyl somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. So there's this, and there's obviously the standard CD. So there's, oh, there's, there's goodness, no. and I do know there's because I've met them on tour. There are collectors out there who have to have everything, and exactly. so I think when they see when they see all these formats, they're like, oh my god, Bruce, what are you doing to me? And you know they have to go out and buy the lot, which I do, I do feel a bit bad for them, but you know, it's out of my control. I blame the label. <laughs> <laughs> I just had John Lodge on uh, a few days ago. From oh yeah, Moody Blues. We yeah. talked about Days of Future yeah. Past, and that was that was break a big breakthrough album because of the sound quality. You know, right? It was like one of yeah. the first, uh, you know, kind of stereotype. Uh, I think they called it was a derma sound or something like that. It was yeah. one of the first of its kind, and uh, which was interesting because they they they, they were asked just to uh, produce some songs on like uh, half of the uh, album just for people to sell it, you know, for stereo salesmen, you know, to, to, as a demo. And it ended right, up being, cause... you know, a classic album, which was really cool. I know. it's Yeah, it is cool, isn't it? And if you can you yeah. imagine being in an era where stereo is this new, amazing thing? And, you know, I, I, just things like, oh, my God, you know, what I, was it? I, I can't remember which Beatles album was the first time we had, you had, they had a stereo drums. And to think that before then it was always mono drums. It was, you know, exactly. it's incredible, really. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, all those mono uh, Beatles songs in the '60s 
45 still sound great to me. They're very clear. They do. You know? They do. Yeah. And that's something that actually a lot of sound engineers forget. They forget mm-hmm. to push the mono button when they're mixing because, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of records nowadays that sound terrible in, yeah. in mono. But, I, you know, I don't know how many people listen to stuff in mono nowadays, but, you know, it's still important. What your tour, September 15th, I think, you go back, you go on the road in Paris, correct? That's right, yeah, it just sold out, actually. Paris Paris has sold out, so it's, we're, you know, that's another thing of, uh, mm-hmm. that's, that, that's we're really pleased about, is that we're getting a lot more people to our shows. So, yeah, we're going all around, around Europe um, in September, and then we're touring again um, in January next year, and we're also planning coming over to the States. Um, at the end of 2019 <laughs> at last yes at last i mean you know you wouldn't believe the number of people in the usa who say when do you come in when do you come in and like yes but it's a very big place you know so we hope that people will come to our shows but yeah we should, that, that that should hopefully we should be announcing that soon yeah i heard the story of the last your last tour in the u.s i think you're in kansas somewhere and you got pulled over twice <laughs> <laughs> oh yes i was i was opening for stephen wilson i was doing um he said bruce can you do you want to come over and just do an acoustic opener for me and i said i just hopped on a plane with my acoustic guitar and hired a car and uh but of course i forgot how how big america is and so usa is so i was driving i think i drove I thousand fourteen thousand miles or something or kilometers and you know through arizona and utah it was fantastic you know um but yes I did fall foul of the uh, of the, the law enforcement twice. Yes, in Kansas on the way to I think it was Den. Was it? No, I can't remember. Yeah, Kansas City on the way to Kansas City, mm-hmm. which is quite scary. Scary for a, a poor <laughs> guy like me on my own. <laughs> so uh, hopefully that won't happen when we come over next time. But what were you driving? It was just a, a hire car. I can't remember what it was. It was a big white thing that I just hired. Um, right. and just threw my guitars in the back. But I think I was just going slightly over the speed limit because in England, everyone drives over the speed limit. So I'm just so used yeah. to just doing, oh, you can do 10, 20 kilometers over the speed limit. Yeah, that's fine. But no, it wasn't fine. So uh, I got maybe, told off. Maybe you should call Jack Osborne <laughs> and let him uh, take you around the state. He's, he's good at it. Him and Ozzy yeah. have been traveling everywhere. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> Actually, I like Jack. I like the way he's been uh, handling things. He's he's very very good at what he does, you know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, he is, isn't he? Well, some of the other albums I like, and I, I just want to talk about it a little bit. Um, and it, some of my favorite songs from uh, the Pineapple Thief, the final thing on my mind from Your Wilderness, is one of my great song. Uh, you know, that one kind of felt like a Sade feel to it. In my mind. Sorry, uh, uh, you know the band Sade. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of oh, right, made me yeah. feel that kind of, you know, laid back type. Yeah, type song, I, I, a lot of people give that, you know, they, they they sort of tag us with being quite soft and laid back. I guess the way I sing is quite quite laid back, and I can maybe I can understand your reference now. And uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I agree. I mean, when we play live, that is one of the highlights. And uh, again, when that was one of the influences of getting Gavin on board because that song, when I wrote it, um, mm-hmm. it was nowhere near as complex in, in, in terms of time signatures as it was when it finished because Gavin came on board as a session drummer for, for Your Wilderness, but I think he just enjoyed the music so much that he came back to me and says, Bruce, how about we try this? How Let's do this. Do you mind if I chop this around? 
and um and that's i think that's when it the whole sort of new band began with gavin was when we did final thing on my mind and uh and you know gavin's drumming on that track is just fantastic so it's you yeah. know when we play it live it's it's uh it's definitely a highlight another great song from that album is in exile that's another song i, I really really enjoy yes from, and again uh, you know yeah yeah it, yeah and so uh, it was really surprising how that song how that song turned out and uh mm-hmm. Again, a, high, a highlight live, and you know Gavin's, you know, drumming again is, is is fantastic. I think he's done a drum through. If you go on YouTube, Vic Firth um, have, have done a drum through where Gavin's just played that track through. And I think today, um, Vic Firth have just released a drum through of a track off um, the new album called White Mist, where Gavin's drum um, done done one of his, you know, cams where he has cams above him and from inside. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was yes, that's yes, that's another favorite of mine. Talk about the lyrics to uh, No Man's Land. Well, that yeah, that one is 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 a, is is about it's about being a parent actually, and um, not so, from my perspective, but also but really from perspectives of people I know who've grown old, and when they when their when their children fly the nest, the the the, the it's the impact that has on people's some people's lives and how they can never really find a, a meaning for their lives that when that happens and uh, right. and how you know how devastating it can be for some people and also it covers the sort of estrangement so the, the times where where you you kind of have this this um irreconcilable difference or, or or fallout with your with your children and you never speak to them again until you know and you 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 die with ever without ever seeing them again and how awful and tragic that 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 is and uh mm-hmm. so yeah that was i think there's a line on there where it says look at me now i'm in no man's land i mean that mm-hmm. that basically means look at me now what what purpose have i got without my children and and right. you know i'm not that, that, uh, that's not me you know i've come looking at my kids now running around and uh that you know, I'm, when they fly the roost, I'll be happy. I'll be, you know, I'll be going on holiday. You know, <laughs> but um, but you know, I I know what I know that that's how it can affect some people. And again, that's it. Just that's I write about things that I witness, and uh, so I witness the, the, these things in my life, and uh, so I wrote about you're, it. You're a great songwriter, by the way, and you you have a fantastic <laughs> fantastic voice. They're, they're Thank very, you very much. Very very different, you know. Uh, very soothing, very prog rock. Uh, you know, you have a you have a terrific voice. Yet the the one savior in that is in uh, being an empty nester is grandkids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things change if they have if they do have grandkids, and that's yes. what I'm enjoying now. I you're, you said you have uh, do you have identical twin boys? I do. Yes. Yeah. Well, we we just had identical twin girl grandkids. <laughs> oh, excellent! Yes, and you know what? My my parents, you know, they are so happy. They're just so different as grandparents as I remember they... them as my parents. They're just so happy. They just they just can't wait to see them, and you know they're so yep. relaxed and chilled out. So yeah, uh, yep, you're right. That's that's a real positive, isn't it? You, you know, you know why they're so happy because they can give them back to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one song that should have been a hit, you 
know, I, I was a top 40 DJ back in the late 70s, too. And, uh, you know, I had to hit, uh, you know, a, a song list in front of me, but I could go out of my realm and, and do whatever I want at times. I was the nighttime guy. But uh, one song I think should have been a hit in mainstream radio. Um, let me see where it is now. Okay, yeah, 137. Oh, that right. Blimey, yeah, right back, right back yeah. in the day. That was in 2002. And, yeah, I'm you know that was that was really when I was finding my feet, and that record, you know, the, the album was called One Three Seven, and I remember playing it to my friends, and they all picked that track out as being the one um, that they loved. Yeah, funny. I, I, we haven't played. We used to play that live, so uh, maybe I should have a chat with the chaps and uh, well, get that yeah. get that back in the set. Great tune. It could, it could be a movie soundtrack. Mm. I, I could see that. Right. In, you know, on a, in, on a movie easily. It's a. It yeah. just stands out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Thanks. Um, let's see. Preparation for Meltdown from uh, Someone Here Is Missing, another great that which is another great album. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh could be my favorite song, West Winds. Ah, of course, yes. Now that that was from What We Have Sown. And I remember what we have sown album. Um I remember I was saying about Stephen Wilson coming on and, and, and right. putting a good word in for me, get onto new label. So I owed my old label one more record and I didn't want to give them a live album or something, something, you know, lazy. So I, so I said to him, right, I'll, I'll, I'll write a record for you. And I wrote it really quickly and that turned into what we've sown and that, and it just became a real favorite with, with a lot of our fan base. And, uh, and I wasn't really really ready for it. And West Winds, I remember that that track. I was just that was really just me having a jam in the mm. studio. I didn't give it any thought. And um, and I think that's probably sometimes as a songwriter that you need that because you if you overthink things, things can go very wrong. And exactly. um, and yep. and and if you but sometimes if you underthink things and think oh I'm just going to do this, it's going to be easy. Things can go horribly wrong. Um, but sometimes it just comes together, and I, and with that track, it just in in hindsight, it 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 worked. You know, it had that that the sort of um, I don't know, it's, it's that you could tell that I that, that I just let it let it run free when you know when I was writing it and playing it. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of musicians when they when I talk to them, they're, they're overly critical about themselves, which it, which drives them crazy. You know, and, I think and that's guys, the thing. It's a song. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a natural natural thing to to always be look at the flaws of everything you do. And you yeah. know, you, you were saying earlier about oh, how do you what do you do? How do you how do you make it after so many records? How do you approach the new one? Is that you look back on what you've done and you hate it and you think right, what am I gonna? Well, how can I make this better? And uh, yeah, it's an ongoing. It's it's never satisfied. Never. Sometimes you know mistakes are good. <laughs> yes, exactly, and you know those those happy those happy accidents, you know, yeah, and happy mistakes. You don't realize it until, unfortunately, you don't realize until you know years afterwards when you you look back in hindsight and go, oh wow, yeah, yeah that was really good, yeah. But exactly. Yeah. Mm. Well, so someone here is missing. Turn things around, I think, for you guys. That that was a critically acclaimed uh, piece, which also featured the artwork of Storm Thorgerson. Which was really it, cool. <laughs> that was really cool, and I, I I couldn't believe it when the label said that they were they were prepared to do it, you know, because the budget wasn't was obviously nowhere near what they had for Pink Floyd or Muse, and um, so 
it was great. And, 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 you know, I met Storm and he spoke to me and, and it grilled me about the record. And mm-hmm. this was shortly, you know, he, this was only a few years before he passed away and he, and yeah. he had cancer. He had cancer when I met him and he was talking openly about it, about the treatment he was having. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, a, it was I couldn't really had to, t- you know, pinch myself to, <laughs> to think that, my God, you know, this is Storm Fogs. And uh, as a kid, I'd, you know, bought, I'd gone record collecting and I'd bought all these hypnosis covers, you know, and flick through the booklets and there he was doing, doing my album. It was, you know, I couldn't believe it. So yeah, that, that was a, it was a breakthrough and it did, did bring us into the, to the world of other, other people, you know, of, 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 of new people, but we were still pretty underground to be fair. But, um, right. but yeah, it was, uh, it, there was a lots of little turning points in the history of the final thief, I think. Well, I'm a bit of an expert, I think, on prog rock. I've 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 liked it ever since the beginning. Uh, to me, it's the greatest achievement to music. You know, besides maybe classical or you know anything like that, Renaissance music. That uh, for the Brits than anything else, or maybe uh, you know like Lonnie Donegan and, and Skiffle maybe. But you know, prog rock is 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 Brits' baby. And yeah. only, only, only the Brits can do it right. You know, there are bands like Kansas and things like that have done a good job about it, but it's it's so authentic. You know, when when British bands play, uh, you know, progressive rock, and it's you know, I, I had a long talk with uh, John Lodge about it. I said, John, you know, you should be very happy that you know, the Brits have prog rock. I mean, that to me should be their its own separate Hall of Fame. You know, and and not even tied up to rock and roll. But then he kind he kept tying American music and rock and roll. And I says, no, 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 no. This is it's in your blood. It's in your DNA. It's from you know Game of Thrones, uh, Sword, Game of Thrones period. You know, <laughs> yeah. the knights and the castles. It, that you know Renaissance music. It's all coming from you guys, from your history into prog yeah. rock. You know, it's it's true. I I never really thought about it like that. But like thinking back to the prog bands of the seventies that I grew up loving, you know, like Supertramp, right? Uh, yes, Camel, you know, and the Stadium. But you know, the bands that were filling stadiums in the seventies, like Jeff Rotel and the ELP, all ELP, British. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's all it's that's you guys. It's all about you. It, it to me yeah. it has nothing to do with American music. It's in your DNA. Right. Period. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I thank you for it because it's it's my favorite. <laughs> you know, when I when, yeah, I, when I when I see Game of Thrones, I can hear all the you know I can hear ELP. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I hear a lot of progressive rock bands. I could easily, you know, be part of that. You know, yeah, really, really cool. And talking about that, one of your under most underrated albums has to be Eight Days. Oh my God, that is such a good album. Yeah, I mean, and and again, I mean, there was there was three eight days. I think we've done three. So the original eight days, with, mm-hmm. which was on variation of, of a dream, was was when the the record label back in then that those days he had a an offer from the pressing plant of a thousand three free CDs, and he said to me, Bruce, we can do a bonus disc for the first thousand we, we press. Can you give me some stuff? And I thought, oh, I haven't really got anything. You know, you don't want to give them all the rubbish that you don't ever do. And I said, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll just let's do an hour, let's do a song every day for eight days and just do a record. And so I did did it. 
and it and again you know when you're talking about well let's not think about it let's just just go with the flow and and, and write stuff and not you certainly haven't got time to overthink it when you're doing it in one day and writing recording and mixing it um that's how it came out so it was, i just thought it was a really interesting thing to put myself through and then i did it again with eight day, eight days later and then we did it again for the when we did your wilderness special edition which had an eight years later although that was probably about two or three weeks that we spent on that one that, that's a magical period in my in my you know it's it's, it's so underrated uh, i a couple of comments that i read about that album criminally overlooked album right somebody somebody said effing sublime i mean right brilliant yeah it is brilliant the album cover too it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, thanks. It, it's a great album. Uh, I, I realize that uh, some of your favorite guys growing up, I know one of them is Camel, right? You, you like the Mirage album? Yes. Yep. yep. They did a, um, a thing, I think Bruce's 10 guitar albums that blew his mind. Oh, and... yes. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a, a, Andy Latimer of Camel, yes. of course. Yep. Great guitar player. Um, Steve Hackett was another one who I've had on the show. Love Steve. Steve. I've interviewed him several times. And also Corey Glover. I mean, uh, Living Color. And I've, I had Corey Glover on the show not, not too long ago. I saw that. Yeah, of course. No, uh, uh, Vernon Reed is a guitarist. Corey Glover, the vocalist. But, um, but Living Color mm-hmm. were, yeah, they were, they were, um, when I first met our bass player, you know, Living Color had just released Vivid, and you know, was, it, we we I loved as a guitarist. I thought, wow, what is this? You know, loved He's a it. Great guitar player, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. What's your favorite progressive rock band? Oh, that's a good question. I don't, you know, I it was, you know, I really loved early Supertramp when I was, uh, you know, I still do. You know, Crime and Century is is one of my favorite albums of all time. You know. You can't ignore Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon and Wish You Were Here, you know, are up, up there in my Desert Island discs. Um, as I also, you know, it doesn't get quoted very much, but I used to really love the Alan Parsons project. You know, the, mm-hmm. he did an album called um, Tales of Mystery and Imagination, and I think that's just a fantastic piece of piece of music. And, and I, Robot, after that, you know. So they were real influences of my, uh, uh, to me when I was... Uh, growing up in the 80s you know as, as a teenager of course alan parsons part of the uh, dark side of the moon production of course yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i i saw super tramp a couple of times I've, I've had roger on uh i've interviewed roger really really nice guy right um, i wish you know i just wish i you know I, there's lots of bands where i just never got to see no, you know, um, you know, super tramp with the classic lineup pink floyd the classic lineup and we we, we had uh, john halliwell uh play a, a clarinet solo on your wilderness so that was a, a big moment for me to have you know super tramps sax and clarinet player on 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 one of my songs it was a yeah another pinch me moment that was oh wow which which song was it was he playing on which um oh god you know you know what my brain's just gone gone <laughs> just trying to remember the name of name of the song um um <laughs> it's on your wilderness the soft one on your wilderness okay. i'm trying to remember, i'm trying to sing it now but um yeah yeah he he does this clarinet he did we, he just came we went up to manchester and he did this uh clarinet solo for us it'll, it'll come to me in a minute okay <laughs> <laughs> he, he's amazing he really is amazing 
I saw uh, oh, fend, fend, fend for Yourself. Fend for Yourself okay. is the name of the song. Yeah. Yeah, I'll look that up. Bruce, here's a, here's a question I ask everybody, uh, and I get some interesting answers. If you had a Field of Dreams wish, like the movie, uh, to perform yeah. or collaborate with anyone from the past or present, who would that be? You know, it would be a real left field thing. I think, you know, everyone always says, oh, when's Bruce going to collaborate with Stephen Wilson or, you know, Mike, Michael from, from Opus, you know. But actually, what I would really be interested to, to do is collaborate with Beck. You know, one of you, an American, you know, singer-songwriter. But Beck did a record called Sea Change, um, which I think is one of the most progressive records of the last 20 years. And um, it was engineered by Nigel Godrich of Radiohead fame and Roger Waters fame. And this, he had these string arrangements by that would by his father, Beck's father, that were the most amazing string arrangements I've ever heard. I just love his songwriting, and I'd just really be interested to to see if you plonk me and Beck in the same room, what would happen. So that would be my dream. <clears throat> Great artist. Great artist. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to promote or talk about? We've got the tour coming up in Europe, and then next, yeah, next no, year. Yeah, no, no, I think, I think, yeah, next year, I think the big thing is if, you know, like we said, we... We know that all of the because nowadays we're talking about social media and connectivity. Right. We know where our listeners are. We know where the mo- most of our listeners are, and they are in the USA. You know, most of our, all our Spotify by far are in the USA. The number of comments that we get: When are you coming to USA? When are you coming to USA? So we're coming. We're coming next year. So I just really hope that we, you know, people come and say hello and come and see our show. Well, we're really excited about you coming to the U.S. Uh, I hope you come to Florida. That's where I'm at. Uh, right. I'm in Florida is the radio yep. station. We broadcast from California. But, okay. uh, you know, a lot of people don't come as far south as Florida sometimes. But uh, No, it's difficult, isn't it? You'd, you'd imagine. I mean, whereabouts in Florida are you? Is... Well, actually, this is Brit country here. I'm in Sarasota, which, right. you know. It's... <laughs> so, it's so nowhere near Miami, I suppose. or, or uh, About three where, hours where, where, from Miami. Uh, uh, the, right. the closest, closest city is Tampa. Tampa would be right. good. Oh, Tampa, good right, yeah, because yeah. Steve, Stephen Wilson's played Tampa, hasn't he? I, I'm pretty yep. sure he has. So, um, yeah, well, I'll speak to I'll speak to our agent. That'd be wonderful. If I can help yeah. in any way, I know a lot of the venues. I know a lot of the people that promote shows here. You know, I can I can help you out if you like. Great. Give you some names. Yeah, thanks. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. Bruce, thank Cheers. you, thank you so much, man, for being on the show today and for all the incredible music. Looking forward to the brand thank new you. album. Uh, from Pineapple Thief entitled Disillusion and uh, hopefully the American tour in the near future and hopefully yes. uh, you'll come to yeah. Florida <laughs> and, and yeah. don't get yeah. pulled I over so. <laughs> yeah thanks don't get no, pulled over very, yeah. Lo- lovely chat thanks very much thank you so much Bruce okay alright take care man bye bye alright and you see you later bye 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 Dissolution, the brand new release by the Pineapple Thief, will be released in various formats and available to pre-order now, as a matter of fact, at uh, https backslash backslash the pineapple thief dot link dot two backslash dissolution PR, or you can wait till the end of the month, and it'll be available everywhere, including Amazon.com. And again, it'll be on various, various formats. The Pineapple Thief uh, Dissolution Tour, uh, 
2018-2019, beginning September 15th in France. We'll be coming to the United States sometime in 2019. Uh, visit their links uh, for more information about The Pineapple Thief. Uh, visit www.thepineapplethief.com. They're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Music. Very special thanks today to Billy James of Glass Onion PR for arranging this interview with Bruce Sword. And, of course, the dynamic duo of Doug and Don Newsom of BBS Radio for making the magic happen for each and every broadcast of the Ray Shasho Show. If you have comments or suggestions for the show, contact me at the Ray Shasho Show at gmail.com. Don't forget to purchase a copy of my book entitled Check the G's, The True Story of an Eclectic American Family and their wacky family business, available now at Amazon.com. I promise you will live it. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Interviewing the Legends, brought to you by the Publicity Works Agency. Call... 941-877-1552 or visit us at publicityworksagency.com specializing in author and music artist publicity plans we shine when we make you shine tune in to interviewing the legends every tuesday at 7 p.m pacific time on bbs radio station one